2: Rick Rule is a favorite in the Real Vision community. If you'd like to meet up with Rick and get a master class from the master himself, you'll want to head to the Rick Rule Symposium on Natural Resource Investing in Florida, July 23rd to the 27th. You'll get access to industry insiders, elite bullion dealers, gold council members, and uranium pros. There's special early bird pricing for in-person and virtual sets until June 30th. Just head over to realvision.com forward uh, how high will us rates go hi everyone welcome to the real vision daily briefing with me today is joseph wang principal fedguide.com hi joseph it's great to see you again
0: hey maggie it's so great to see you again it's glad it's great to be back
2: yeah on a on a week that as we were discussing right before we came on has been very busy central bankers. We've heard from all of them, all of them on the same stage at one point, And we've got some really interesting economic data. And that really seemed like it was driving today here in the US. Um, we had a little bit of mixed action on stocks, uh, the Dow, S&P and Russell all higher, Russell up by more than 1%. But NASDAQ just about flat. Uh, looks like it was trying to sort of come back and, and inch into positive territory. We had yields up, on treasuries after U.S. GDP revised up. and It seemed to catch everybody by surprise. What's going on with this U.S. economy?
0: That's a great summary. So what I think is happening is that over the past few months, there's been a lot of people in the investment community who are thinking that the U.S. is going into a recession. And if you are going into a recession, I think the standard playbook over the past few years was to buy big tech and buy bonds, wait for the Fed to uh, cut rates. And that's been the story for, for the past couple of years, actually. The market was, has always been basically fighting the Fed, thinking that the Fed will be cutting rates anytime soon. Um, this recent data really, really uh, turns that narrative upside down because the GDP data was very positive. So this is the f- third read of the quarter one GDP. Um, you, you, The GDP data usually gets revised several times. And so uh, this revision w- was very positive. It shows that GDP mm-hmm. growed at... 2% annual rate to the first quarter. Now, this is notable uh, for a couple reasons. First, it shows that we're not in a recession and the economy seems to be accelerating. Okay. So that's the complete opposite of what many people expected. And the second point is that this is above the feds perceived, uh, long-term trend. So the fed has been trying to slow the economy down, try to get inflation down. According to feds forecast, They think that the potential growth of the US economy is 1.8% and Chair Powell has been telling everyone they want to get GDP to grow below trend. This is not below trend. This is above trend and it shows that after doing uh, 500 basis points of hikes, the Fed doesn't seem to have accomplished what they want to accomplish. That suggests more rate hikes and it suggests, of course, higher yields and in my view, ultimately lower uh, risk asset prices as well.
2: So, and we'll dig into that a little bit in a moment. We've, by the way, got some great questions coming in already, and we will get to them, everybody. But let's just sort of get Joseph's sort of macro thinking before we dive in. Um, You know, it's interesting because they decided to pause, right? And so he kind of has explained that many times as that they're still very hawkish, but it's just speed isn't as important right now. But it's interesting to see that even that GDP come up, higher than expected. And it's not just that, right? We had weekly jobless claims fall the most since 2021. It seems on so many different levels that as you point out, it's not just resilient. That's the word we were using. It seems like it's regaining momentum in some areas. Is this just the policy lag is taking longer or is the tightening they've done to date just not enough?
0: So I think that it's because the policy they've tightened is just not enough. And with respect to lags, I actually think the lags have already passed and that's why we're re-accelerating again. I, I think a really good area to look at is housing, for example. Housing, last year, mortgage rates went up, went to around 7%, housing slowed down a lot, uh, you know, uh, house prices came down a lot. And then some point in quarter one, it seems like housing prices bottomed and housing is reaccelerating again. And by the way, at Chair Powell's recent press conference, he also said that as well. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be that the tightening happened and is over and now we're working through that. And, you know, home builders are uh, approaching all-time highs, House housing starts are increasing again, housing prices are increasing again. And that's supposed to be one of the areas that are that is most impacted by interest rates. So I think the Fed has a lot more work to do.
2: Yeah, it it, that, it it would appear to to create a real dilemma for them, and that's super interesting, Joseph. If you think that lags hit already, because I think that's what people have been holding out for when they're trying to game out the timing of the recession. You know, looking at this has been a very aggressive. Uh, tightening, But I wish we should just have that chart on replay of the massive amount of stimulus that hit the economy post-COVID when you try to think about the balancing act they're trying to do. You mentioned housing. Warren Pies was on with us a couple of weeks ago uh, for our regular viewers, you remember, we had a really, really interesting conversation about housing. He's really digging in deep there, looking at construction payrolls very much on the same page with you saying, hang on a second, this is not, we are not getting the kind of readings we would that consistent with recession. And he raised the idea that maybe the Fed needs to fine tune its inflation fighting efforts. Let's have a listen to what he said, and we'll talk on the other side.
1: If it was me, I think what they could do is you're talking about the housing market, you're talking about borrowing channels, raising that front end. What we've seen is it kind of is it has this kind of perversely stimulative effect where it actually increases this interest income to a certain small segment of the population who already have a lot of money, and then it incentivizes economic activity through that channel, I think they need to really hit the borrowing channel. They wanna slow the economy down and slow inflation down, slow down housing costs, and that would point to uh, additional QT or more aggressive QT and balance sheet operations.
2: I thought that was such a great observation and I've been thinking a lot about it because we just haven't been talking about QT at all. So. And it, 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 I think it speaks to this, uh, maybe you know, two zone economy where there are the haves or those with some wealth, especially wealth connected to investments, treasuries, the higher yield that are benefiting still from this, and maybe have s- some of that, you know, the gains in tech or the. the the stimulus uh, still in their savings and then other parts of the economy and workers that are much more stretched, you know, and who are running up their credit cards and who are living paycheck to paycheck. And we still see that we anecdotally know it, right? Many of us are those people. So um, what do you think? Is there a conversation at the fed that maybe they've got to be more targeted and try to address the parts of the economy where there still is a lot of stimulus?
0: So absolutely I think Warren makes a really good point in that the Fed should be trying to uh, I guess change their path, the way that they are doing more strict monetary policy but perhaps changing their QT to try to get longer dated yields higher after all you know raising the overnight rate doesn't really pass through to the economy all that much it's really the longer dated yields let's say the 10 year that's much more economically sensitive right if you are getting a mortgage Uh, then that's mostly keyed off of the 10-year yield. But the Fed actually has been pretty resolute when as to not changing their uh, QTA policy. From their perspective, it very much seems like it's on autopilot. However, um, right now, it's expected that the U.S. Treasury will continue to issue massive amounts of debt. I think the expectation right now is between 1.5 to 2 trillion uh, a year, basically forever. So eventually, I I would expect the the 10-year yield to go higher. Uh, one thing, though, is that I think the Fed has kind of, you know, made kind of uh, is kind of creating a problem for themselves because over the past few years they've basically taught the market that, you know, um, if anything bad happens, we're going to cut rates, we're going to cut rates. So now when they want to change their tune, the market doesn't really believe them, and so that's part of the reason why long term yields are stuck at such a low level, uh, simply because the investor class has been. Conditioned over the past few decades to to always expect lower rates, and so that that psychology has to change before before I think we can actually get monetary policy to be more restrictive through higher higher longer dated yields. Now Warren also makes a really good point that I like in that uh, monetary policy raising the overnight rate has an uneven balance where it is increases interest rate income for some people. Mm-hmm. So I took a look at this for the non financial corporate sector. And this is really interesting. So in quarter one of 2023, the net interest rate payments made by the non-financial corporate sector in the US actually declined uh, compared to last quarter. Now, how does it make sense for interest rates to go to 500 basis points and yet the net interest expense of the non-financial corporations declines? Uh, That's because a lot of their debt is longer dated at regular low interest rates, but they also have a lot of money market fund investments and deposits at commercial banks that are paying close to 5%. So, so far, uh, it it hasn't actually been constraining to the non-financial corporates. It's been uh, marginally increasing their interest income.
2: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. That's so interesting. So that's stimulative.
0: Yes, it is.
2: You know, it's funny because we talked to Warren Mosler, and I know MMT is controversial and people feel really tribal about it. But he was making this point that, conversely, now I don't know that you can run the logic all the way out. I think if you start to do that, that's where we get some disagreement. But this idea that raising rates has a stimulative effect, is is some people really push back on that. But it appears that that is true for segments of the economy.
0: Absolutely, for segments of the economy. And it also depends on your stock of public debt. So this stimulus of impact wouldn't, wouldn't really happen for the private sector because in the private sector, let's say that I'm borrowing from, from you, Maggie. Well, if I pay interest payments to you, I have less income, you have more. It's a redistributive effect. There's no net increase in the amount of uh, purchasing power in the in the public sphere. But when you're talking about public money, well, how does the government pay for its interest rates? Expense. It just prints more treasuries, right? So um, if you have a lot of public debt, then raising the interest rates uh, increases the government's interest rate expense and forces the government to basically print more treasuries, which increases the purchasing power of the public, as uh, Warren Mosler noted. So okay. our debt to GDP is pretty high. I'm not sure that it's high enough for that impact to dominate all their impacts, but it's definitely something we need to keep in mind simply because we haven't actually been at this level of debt before. Well, actually not not since the wars anyway, and, and uh, interest rates are very high. So I think that makes the Fed's job a lot more difficult going forward.
2: Yeah, that, that's a great observation. Um, and it's, I think, important for us to tease that out as we scratch our heads and wonder why we're seeing the economy continue to uh, you know, fire away um, as it has given all, in the face of those rate hikes. So one thing you hear, Joseph, and I don't know if it's just the other side of the coin of something you just said a moment ago, if if you see difference. Some people, you just said something very interesting that the markets are kind of conditioned that when things go bad, the Fed's just going to come in and rate hike rates. So they're kind of, you know, looking out as they do and anticipating that that's what's going to happen. Is this the same as if we hear people say, The feds, because they're working with basically the blunt instrument of the fed funds rate, they're going to hike until they break something. And what they're going to break is the economy and the labor market. And we will have a recession because the only way they're going to get inflation under control is to force us to have a recession. And at that point, depending how bad it gets, we're going to have, or if they break another part of the system, we're going to, they're going to have to come to the rescue. Is that the same thing? Or do you see market psychology as something separate? Can the Fed change the psychology of the market, but maybe not throw us into a deep recession?
0: I think there's definitely some of that going on. I think if you ask me or I think most people a couple of years ago, what would happen if the Fed hiked rates to five percent? I think we would all be very bearish on the economy and the financial assets. But um, you know, we've we're at five percent and things seem to be okay. We have the stock market basically going up every day for, for the past month. So I think the people who are betting on, let's say the Fed is going to have to cut rates soon because something will break or, or, or we will go into a recession, uh, have been wrong so far, and I think they'll continue to be wrong. And I think so uh, for a couple of reasons. Now, if you're thinking that if you hike rates to five or even 6%, you're going to cause some kind of financial accident where we have some kind of financial crisis mm. that forces the Fed to cut, I think that's, that's not in line with how central banks operate today. Now there's been a lot of discussion about this in the central banking community and that is to say how do we maintain restrictive monetary policy uh, and financial stability and the conclusion is that we can roll out these targeted facilities to address any financial instability that arises and we've seen this in action more recently twice. Now last quarter upset the last two quarters ago last year so, at the end of last year, the UK obviously had an accident in their guilt market. Guilt market, guilt market imploded. Guilt yields shot to the moon. And what the Bank of England did was they rolled out targeted asset purchases. And after the situation calmed down, they went right back to hiking rates. So, targeted facilities prevents implosion so we can keep hiking rates. No need to cut rates. Same thing happened in the US in March. So, we had a bit of a panic in the banking sector. Fed rose up new bank lending facility, and then goes back to hiking rates. So if you're thinking that the Fed would eventually break something in the financial markets, forcing them to cut rates, I I just don't think that's how the world works anymore. Now, on the second point- so
2: interesting, yeah.
0: On the second point, let's say the Fed hikes a lot, we get into recession and the Fed cuts rates. Again, this this strikes me as breaking the cardinal rule of investing, (laughs) that is to say, don't fight the Fed. Which has been the rule for since the Great Financial Crises. Now, the Fed has been telling you very clearly that it wants to slow economic growth down. It wants the unemployment to go higher because that's how it thinks that it gets inflation under control. So, if we get a recession, if we get slower growth, that's exactly what the Fed wants. Uh, Mm -hmm. They were telling you they're going to keep rates higher for longer, and and not just the Fed. uh, Basically, all the developed market central banks, except the Bank of Japan, have have been on this. Now. I would also note though that since I study the financial system and that's kind of how I make my investment choices, uh, the Fed has hiked rates to 5%. But if you look at common channels of monetary policy transmission, it's just not effective. And so that link between high interest, high Fed funds rates and weak economic growth uh, doesn't seem to be there. And we can see the evidence of that clearly today as GDP continues to be revised higher. As Warren Pye notes, of course, you know, housing market still still quite strong. Um, if you look at financial assets, which is also a way that the Fed tries to uh, tighten monetary policy, negative wealth effect, lower financial assets, people have less wealth to spend, less demand for goods and services. But if you look at financial assets, they're, they're all doing quite well. So you know, mon- the channels of monetary policy transmission are not working as well as the Fed thought they would. And that's why they keep revising up their economic projections and, as well as their terminal rate. And I suspect they have more revisions upwards to go.
2: Do you have a target for the terminal rate? How high do you think rates can go?
0: Yeah. So, you know, if you look back for for the past year, in the beginning, the Fed was telling everyone that we're going to be higher for longer. We're going to hike to maybe 5%. And the market was fighting that, thinking the Fed... First, that they would not get there. Secondly, when they get there, they would cut rapidly. Uh, now the market is becoming more and more on the same page as the Fed, just thinking mm-hmm. that you know maybe we might actually do have two more hikes this year to get to five and a half. Uh, I think five and a half, that's reasonable. But if I had to weigh the balance of risks, I think the risk is that we go even higher, uh, even perhaps to 6%, maybe not uh, by the end of this year, but maybe early next year, simply because What they're doing is not working. And what we see clearly is that the U.S. economy is doing well.
2: Wow. Okay. That's a big adjustment to to get to. So um, let's let's cycle in a couple of questions here. Um, uh, Daniel asking, do you have any insights you can share about regional U.S. bank capitalization ratios at current? Just so if folks missed it. Major banks and institutions passed the stress test today um, pretty easily by the science of it. In fact, JP Morgan Wells, they were some of the biggest gainers, best performers today. What are you thinking about regional US bank capitalization ratios, Joseph?
0: So, I think there's a. So, right now, Vice Chair Barr of Supervision at the Fed, who's the, who's the guy in charge of setting regulations for banks, is in the process of proposing new bank capital regulations. And if you listen to the most recent testimony, when Chair Powell went to Congress, you note that the congressmen were basically very, very interested in one thing, and that is bank capital requirements. Uh, They had, uh, I don't know, over and over again, they were asking Chair Powell, you know, are you going to raise bank capital requirements? Is this a good thing? Don't you know that this will constrict lending and so forth? So on the one hand, you have the Fed and probably some politicians wanting higher capital requirements, and you have the second thing, in that is the bank lobbying. Uh, bank lobbying groups are in full court press to try to stop this. So at the end of the day, I suspect that we'll, we will see some kind of higher capital requirements for some of the large regional banks. Now these aren't the small banks. In the U.S., you have about 4,500 banks. The vast majority of them are very small and will not be affected. But going forward, you could see, I think, not just the GSIBs, but the let's say the next tier down, the super regionals have slightly higher capital requirements. Now at the moment, I think the capital that they have is totally adequate. Now what happened in March was not a capital problem from my perspective. Capital is a liability of a bank. It's used to absorb credit losses. There have been very limited credit losses. What happened in March was a liquidity problem. So uh, from my perspective, I don't think higher capital requirements is necessary. And so I also don't think that the banks lack capital today.
2: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So uh, speaking of liquidity, I think it's Las or Lasse. I'm sorry for pronouncing your name wrong. Uh, Thanks for the great shows. Oh, thank you. Um, Question, could Mr. Wang comment on the global liquidity situation? Does he see it declining or growing?
0: So liquidity is a kind of an amorphous term. I think if you ask ten people, you have ten different definitions. What people commonly think of, from in the Twitter world, actually, when they think of liquidity, it's often referring to something like reserve levels of commercial banks. Uh, that actually um, staying about where it was right now. There is a lot of concern that uh, after the debt ceiling was uh, after the debt ceiling was resolved, that the TGA, so the the Federal government would try to refill its checking account at the Fed, called the Treasury General Account, and that would suck out uh, liquidity out of the banking system. Um, that was that what that was a very likely scenario at that time. But what happened was that the U.S. Treasury actually adjusted its debt issuance so that future buildup in the TGA would come more out of the money market funds rather mm. than the banking sector. So what the U.S. Treasury did was that that they concentrated their uh, debt issuance in very short-dated Treasury bills, which are attractive to money market funds. So what you're seeing happening now is money market funds taking money out of the reverse repo facility and buying these short-dated bills and the money then goes to the Treasury General account. So I think that uh, that risk is is off the table so far.
2: Amazing. That's a fantastic point because we talked about that endlessly. Um, <laughs> Douglas asking, uh, this is why when you know the financial plumbing as well as you do, Joseph, it's it's magical. Um, Douglas asking, what happens in two months when a rate auction fails? How bad do things get? There's a presumption you're making, Douglas, that a rate auction will fail. So maybe let's start with that question. Do you see any concern about global mark- markets absorbing all of this issuance that's coming from Treasury?
0: So- uh, that's a really good point. There's a tremendous amount of issuance coming out. Uh, as I noted earlier, it's going. It's not going to stop. It's going to be 1.5 to 2 trillion uh, forever. Now I, I'm not worried about an auction failed. So the way that the US government sells debt is that it sells debt through auction. So the auction is held by the New York Fed and the participants are largely the primary dealers which are regulated entities that have the special privilege of trading with the Fed. Uh, other people can participate as well. Uh, through, but they have to apply for it, but it's mostly primary dealers. Now, if you're a primary dealer, you have an obligation to bid uh, at the treasury auctions. And this is to guarantee that auctions never fail at the end of the day, someone will buy them. So I don't worry about, um, the treasury auctions failing. We have a lot of primary dealers and uh, they kind of have to have to bid on it. What I, what, what is more concerning to me is that at what rate does the auction clear? Um, so right now, so 10 year, looks like it's about 3.8% today. We have strong US economy, persistently high inflation, persistently high debt insurance. And uh, you know, have a lot of structural things in the world that in my view argue for persistently high level of inflation, including a demographics where the workforce population is declining. And of course you have the effort to make the climate transition and deglobalization and stuff like that. So I think there's real risk that the 10 year can trade north of 4.5% by the end th- End of the year. The options will be fine, uh, but the market has to be able to handle h- higher interest rates, which which I think are coming.
2: Yeah. So Trulinek's asking about this. Um, so that answers. Um, he's he's asking the Taylor rule point to higher Fed funds rate. I think you answered that earlier, Joseph. Yes, you see the Fed funds rate moving higher. Do you think the second part of it is do you think since there's no recession, the 10-year yields will move back above the two-year. Uh, the te- that would put the 10 year above 5% at some point before the end of the year. Sounds like you see it flattening, but not, not actually getting above the two year Is that right?
0: Yes, Maggie, I- exactly right. So um, I-, I don't think that the market is ready to to believe in let's say 10 years of, of super high inflation yet. So I-, I can see the 10 year cheapening a lot. So yields go higher and north of four and a half percent, but uh, well, you know what? If if we do have a curve reinversion, I think it's when the Fed cuts rates. I don't think it would come entirely from um, from from the tenure. So going, it's not the, it's not the long
2: end going up. It's more the 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 short end coming down. Yeah, the they'll Fed both finally- they'll
0: both move. They'll both move. Yeah. But like you mentioned, uh, I, I don't see the long the uh, ten year yield going above five percent this year.
2: So, David asking, hello, Joseph, if you see the rate hikes behind us, which I don't think you do, I think you maybe came in late, David. I think that um, Joseph sees more rate hikes, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, Joseph. Where do you see value in the economy?
0: Um, I definitely believe that rate hikes, uh, we have more rate hikes. I think the market is underpricing uh, the possibility of a higher terminal rate, maybe even approaching 6%. If you're talking about value as investments in the economy, well, honestly, So just going back to to where I I see where we are, I think that we had a lot of people who have been buying tech stocks and buying bonds in anticipation of rate hikes and rate cuts and a recession. Because that's not happening, I think that there's going to be turmoil in the markets. So I think it's better to be in cash and, and be getting your 5%. And later on, when the market is fully realizing that perhaps the Fed is serious, I think there'd be better opportunities to, uh, to, to buy into the market. So uh, I I would prefer would overweight cash at the moment.
2: Robert, that answers your question about what Joseph likes, what sectors he likes. Do you see when you mentioned risk assets before as well, Joseph, do you see a very big correction or is it just that they kind of lose momentum and we, we chop in a range? Do you see a big pullback? I mean, are we, you know, everyone used to wonder if we were going to retest those lows, but now that we've pushed out pushed out recession, everyone, you know, you don't hear that as much. How do you see the equity side playing out?
0: So I think the top is in for the market for this year, but I don't think we're going to crash. Uh, I, I agree. We're just, so I think we will maybe pull back 10%, chop around. I think it's really hard to have a big crash uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, you have a lot of fiscal spending that continues to be very stimulative to the economy. That's basically pumping money into the, into the economy, which ultimately makes it into the, um, financial markets. And two, you're going to have a lot of people who continue to believe that recession is around the corner, continue to think that we got to get ahead of this fed fed cuts and so forth. And I think that's going to be supportive of, of the markets. But I do think that, uh, the market has gotten ahead of itself and, uh, I would expect it uh, to pull back uh, over the coming weeks.
2: So we we have another clip I wanted to play. We, we had Brent on yesterday. He was talking a lot about sentiment too. It's funny. Um, and uh, I, I want to be sure to get a sort of uh, look at Asia in this. We've got a question about Yuan. We also looking at the yen. Um, we were sort of going over Ueda's comments yesterday. Have a listen to what Brent had to say and then we'll talk on the other side
1: there's so many ways that they can look at inflation, but most of like the headline numbers and the standard kind of stuff, wage inflation all that, it's way above 2%. But then they're kind of saying, well, on a forward-looking time horizon with this and that, um, you know, we're still, we need to do more. And it's like, dude, nobody in the world thinks you need to do more. But (laughs) I think what they're doing is they don't want the market to front run the normalization. So they're, and they've had, they've made like, hindsight errors in the past trying to hike rates and way back in the day and stuff. So they'd always rather be too late than too early. Cause it, but, but they're like slowly turning the aircraft carrier. Like they did widen the band in December and it was a complete surprise. Yeah. And so I think part of what they're trying to do is keep make it too much, like too difficult for speculators to make money. Um, so that's what I think the BOJ is doing. And the PBOC always does that too. It's like, they don't want to pre, pre-announce something and then the market front runs it and then the market just makes all the money and and you know distorts the market way ahead of the actual policy change.
2: That was part of our extended daily briefing from yesterday to participate in that and all of our live shows on the platform you can scan the QR code or head to our website. And jump on a trial. So, Joseph, um, do you anticipate that they just don't want to signal it, but that the Bank of Japan is going to be forced to start to move that band and realign with other central banks?
0: That's. I think there's a lot of speculation that they will do that. After all, inflation is above their target, as Brett mentioned. So, uh, I, I so I to have to take them at their word, though. So, yesterday, Governor Weda spoke and it seems like his view was that, you know, inflation is above target right now, but, you know, or forecasts suggest that eventually it's going to come back down. Uh, that is to say, inflation is transitory. And uh, so, uh, so we've been hearing this for some time. you so
2: brave to use that word,
0: <laughs> So yeah, Governor Ruda does not use that word, but that's basically what he's saying. So, you know, if, if he's wrong, like the other central banks in the world have been totally wrong, then I think that they will have to do something. But I think that they're going to take some time and see See, they want to be really sure. Because as we all know, Japan has been struggling with low inflation and deflation at times for a few decades. So they don't want to overreact. And so if they do make a move, I think it's sometime, you know, a few months from now, it's not something imminent. They really really want to see uh, how, how the data plays out.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, And uh, China, will they be easing?
0: Uh, It looks like they've been easing. So China is an interesting, interesting part of the world. So in the Western world, we're struggling with high inflation. In China, uh, they have low inflation. They're trying to stimulate their economy. Uh, It looks like it. It it looks like that they're in easing mode right now. So uh, I'm not as familiar with with how the policymakers there think. So uh, just going by what I hear, it seems like they're going to continue on that path.
2: Yeah, you and you and most of the rest of us, uh, Joseph, it is very opaque trying to get reliable information out of China. It's something we all struggle with. Um, Joseph, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. I just want to make a mention to, um, to Saul. He had a great question about the uninversion of the yield curve. I don't know that we really have time to tackle it. Let's see if we could do it really quickly. Why is the uninversion of the yield curve historically more bearish for equities? Is this due to a response to weakness that was priced in or due to lack of deficit spending isn't is is a I'm going to say a, an inversion, let's say flattening. <laughs> um, uh, is it always bearish for equities, Joseph?
0: So I think usually it, it's bearish because the way you invert is that the central bank cuts rates. And if the central bank is cutting rates, that means that things are not going well in, in the economy. So I think that's historically how it's been. Um, yeah. And, and right if it's now- from
2: the other side, it's because they're and, and they're in and they're raising rates that. You know, in, in that way, then, yeah. Either way, it's there's some pain involved, right? That's going to hit profits.
0: Yes, for sure.
2: Awesome. Um, great question, though, Saul. Um, and anytime you have something like that, you know, like why is this happening? Don't forget to roll into our academy sessions. We're having one next Friday. We usually send out emails in the newsletters, um, and we'll try to flag it on this show as well. That's when members come on and they can ask our experts, Roger, Andreas. Um, anything about sort of like how things work and some of the topics we cover um, in the academy sessions on our platform or the uh, real investing course or any of our master classes. So it's fantastic give and take. We do it for like an hour and it's been, they've been great the first couple we've done. So if you have something like that, that you're really trying to understand and unpack, feel free to Put your name out for one of those. We'd love to see you on camera. Um, Joseph, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much. I think you really helped us understand this tricky spot we're in and the fact that everyone's going to have to go back to the drawing board and really, really recalculate what they're expecting from the Fed. We appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
2: Uh, We will be back tomorrow, summer Friday time, 1 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you change your calendar. Hope you can all join us. As always, take care and good luck out there.
0: What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.